We're going to talk about uh, before and after. Everybody loves a good before and after story. If you come to my house for the first time, you'll probably see the before and after pictures of the home that I live in. Eleanor has them at the ready on her iPad. Uh, and it's because we, we're just so thrilled as a, as a human race over reclamations and restorations. Uh, we dig that kind of stuff. Look what this was and look what it now is. Uh, the Bible is a... Uh, a, a big long book on before and afters. There was a before uh, in the first couple chapters of our Bible where everything was perfect. It was in creation. Uh, in chapter 3 of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, everything goes awry. Sin enters the world. And because sin enters the world, everything goes into chaos and into uh, degradation. But the Bible is the story of God's restoration, his reclamation of what's been broken and and how he makes us new in the New Testament. He sends his son Jesus and we see uh, and celebrate uh, all that he's done to bring life out of death. And so uh, Paul's just going to kind of uh, hear as we pivot in the book from all the things that he's been saying in the first three chapters about who God is and what we have in him, who we were without him. Uh, he's going to pivot now into just some real practical stuff over the next, uh, not that it, anything I say isn't practical, I hope it's all very practical, but he's going to get very specific in how you and I are to live in the new life. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to, in, in this first week of before and after, we're going to talk about the old becoming new. I, uh, I want to talk to you tonight about your, your mind. I, I want to talk to you, you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the war that is being waged even now in your mind. Uh, between God and those uh, who oppose him, the spiritual forces that oppose him. I want to talk about the fact that we were given at our salvation the mind of Christ. But uh, even though that's ours and we can think like Jesus and think for Jesus and, and train our thoughts on him, we are constantly being bombarded with messages, temptations, diversions that can pull our minds away from him and subsequently pull our lives away from him as well. This was the concern of Paul as he talks to the Ephesians here, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, about the old me. He gets done, uh, Ephesians 4 is pretty much all about the church. We just studied that. We did that whole called out series just now. But uh, uh, he gets done talking about the church, that the church is meant to be one, that the church functions in the way that God designed it to function, or it's meant to function that way, that certain gifts are given to the church so that they can equip the saints, so that the saints can become uh, mature and, and be built up as a body so that together we can all function in this amazing gift that God has given us in humanity, the, the, the body of Christ, and we can, we can honor him uh, as we edify and encourage each other. Um, but Paul's going to give a warning. As he starts into the things that we should do and not do, he's going to say, hey, listen, it all starts in the mind. And uh, what does Paul have to say about the old me? It's simply, he says, leave your futile mind behind. That's the word that we have in our text today. Anybody use futile a lot? It's not a word we commonly use. But it means empty, empty or useless. It's like your cell phones. Anybody ever had a cell phone that had a battery run out on it? It's just not useful anymore, unless you're trying to hold down a stack of paper. I mean, it's just not going to do anything for you. I guess you could wedge a door open with it. <laughs> but if there's no power, um, if, there, if there's um, no way for it to be used as it was designed, it's, it's futile. And it's the same thing with your brains, with your minds. God designed your brain, uh, designed you as a whole, 
to honor and glorify him. You were created by him and for him. And if your brain is given over to other things that are not him, then your brain's useless, even as it functions uh, on a day-to-day basis. Leave your futile mind behind. It says in verse 17 this, Paul continuing his letter to his friends in Ephesus. Now, kind of a, a jolting word. Hey, it's kind of the effect here. Now, this I say and I testify in the Lord. Uh, this is Paul saying, listen, you got to hear this. Anybody ever heard a preacher? Maybe this one. Say, to you, listen, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Have you heard a preacher say that? Hopefully you're hearing everything else. But certainly there are going to be thumb, some things in any talk or any uh, you know, letter that kind of pop up. and you got to get this. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, now, this I say. you got to hear it. And I testify in the Lord. It's not me that's saying this. What's he saying? Let me be your prophet, Ephesus. Let me be your prophet, Baalife. This is what God says. I testify to this because this is what the Lord gave me to give to you. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And he's saying, hey, leave, your, leave the old you, the old mindset, the, leave that in the past. Leave the emptiness and brokenness of your B.C. existence, your before Christ existence, in the past where it belongs. He says, don't walk like the Gentiles. He's, he's talking to a whole bunch of Gentiles. In fact, we learned earlier in the book of Ephesus that the Gentiles and the Jews have been brought together in the body of Christ to be one human, one man, one body, right? And so he's not uh, referring to the Gentiles specifically in the, in, the, in the church. He's saying, listen, all of us were Gentile-like before Christ, and, and we should, in everything that we are and everything that we have, uh, live lives that seek to go away from who we were and seek to live in who we've become in Christ. He says it this way in Romans, in chapter 1 there, he says, For although we, or as Paul speaks to the Romans, humans, as they knew God, for although they knew God, and he had just explained earlier in Romans that everybody has understood that there is a God from creation. He calls it, you know, that uh, none can be excused because uh, we've all seen God. He says, although we all know that there is a God, uh, we have all decided not to honor him as God. And we decided not to give thanks to him, but we, we became, what's it say? Futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts were darkened. I'm going to get to that in just a second. He says, claiming to be wise, humanity became fools. Now, when I, when I talk about, you know, leaving our old minds behind, don't think that I'm saying that, you know, people who aren't Christian are uh, mentally stupid. There's lots of smart non-Christians out there. Anybody sat under them in a, in a you know, class at college or something like that? I mean, there's, there's lots of friends that you go to to work or, who can, you know, formulate their arguments as to why they don't believe in God or as to the why, and, and they're lucid and, and sound and, and smart. And I'm not saying people are dumb when it comes to intellect and being able to form their arguments. I'm saying when it comes to the spiritual side of themselves, they are fools. They are ignorant, darkened, unable to understand, unwilling to submit to the God that in the, the deepest depths of them they know exists. Claiming to be wise then, we as human have become fools. Don't go on in the futile mind. Uh, he, he goes on to describe the futile mind here in verse 18. Uh, he says in verse 18 that uh, 
They, the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. We're going to kind of unpack this and ask some questions of this text. How do our minds become futile? What is it in our minds that, uh, that, you know, what what causes the futility to come? That's going to show up on the screen right here. Yeah. No. How do our minds become futile? You don't have to do it. There it is. Um, We're going to kind of break this down, and the first thing we're going to see is that our minds become futile as the product of hard hearts. Because we have hard hearts, our minds become futile. Our hearts are hard. Futile minds are the, yeah, follow me up there. Yeah, there we go, are the product of hard hearts. Sorry, I'm confused myself. All right, here we go. Now, Paul sometimes, as he's writing, starts with the result and then works his way towards the origin, right? So he begins with the end and and eventually gets you to how we got there. And so that's what he's done in verse 18. Let's read it one more time, and let's see that as it's displayed here. There are, uh, they, the, the Gentiles, are darkened in their understanding. Another phrase for saying futile in their minds, right? They're alienated from the life of God. We'll get to that in a little bit. Because of the ignorance, another word for futility of mind, uh, that is in them. And, and, and here's the clincher, the kicker. What's it due to? The hardness of their hearts. In the next verse, you don't have to show it here, but in the next verse, if you're reading in your Bibles, the next line is, they are calloused. Anybody understand calluses? Calluses are something that guitar players long for. If you play guitar, uh, you're taking the soft tips of your fingers and you're jamming them into metal strings. It hurts when you start to play. Anybody ever started to play guitar? Yeah, most people quit after the first lesson because they're like, that hurts too much. I'm not going to do that. It's crazy. But if you stay at it, then eventually the tips of your fingers develop these things called calluses. And calluses come as a result of you smashing and smashing and smashing uh, uh, whatever the, the, the flesh is against something so that it becomes hard. Well, here's the deal. We, you and I were born with a sin nature because you and I were born into Adam and Eve. And because we are given this sin nature, what ends up happening is that we're already in a position to rebel against God, but then we start rebelling against God and we get better at it and better at it and better at it to the point where our hearts become seared against them. Our consciences are closed off to them. They become callous because we've just gotten so good at sinning that we just get used to doing it. And we even call what's wrong, it tells us this in Isaiah, that the people end up calling what is wrong right. Even though God says, this is not what I want, our culture says, this is exactly what we want. And you are wrong if you believe that this wrong is not right. Everybody follow me there? That's what sin does. It flips truth on its ear. It creates a new version of it. That's what Adam and Eve did. I don't have the verses that point to this, but I'm just guessing that it wasn't like a surprise attack that caused Eve to be drawn into her confusion and in her willful disobedience of God. I'm guessing there was probably in her mind, maybe at different times, I don't have any evidence for this. I'm just, you know, go with me if you want to. If you don't, tell me I'm wrong. But, but I'm guessing that there was probably some questions that Satan just kind of came in as the snake and the, the tempter and just said, hey, boop, and tipped her over, right? Is it true that God says you can't eat this? You know what, he's probably lying to you. In fact, I think he is. And he's just, he doesn't want you to know the, 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 the knowledge of, of good and evil because you'll be just like him. Why don't you go ahead and taste it? So because she saw that it was good to eat and had all these benefits, because she reasoned in her mind, because her heart, and here's the biggest thing about your heart. Your heart is your care station, okay? Your heart is where you determine what you care about and what you don't care about. 
So some of you aren't going to watch the Super Bowl with any kind of heart behind it because you don't care who wins. Those of us who know that the Patriots are the greatest team in all of history will be watching with a different passion because our hearts are involved. For some of you, it's just a chance to get together with some friends and eat some wings. For <laughs> See, her heart is for wings. Your heart is your care station. It's also your don't care station. It's where you delineate between the two. So here's what happens in the, in the heart of a sinner, in the heart of all humanity. We just get to the point where we say to God, and this is what Eve did. He, she just got to the point where in her mind, she said, and in her heart, I don't care what God says. I don't care what he thinks. I'm smarter than him. And I'm going to do what I want because my heart is hard. The word hardened there means, uh, it's actually this Greek word, porosis, and it, it means harder than marble. And marble's a rock, isn't it? Like, I don't know how hard that is, but it's so hard, it's impervious, it's, it's unbendable, it's unmoldable. Uh, we get so good at this this, 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 this sin thing. We get so calloused in our hearts and so hard against God uh, that, that, like I said, we start um, rearranging truth, redefining what truth is. Uh, Paul says this about the human race, and in, 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 again, in his letter to the Romans, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. He's basically saying, listen, God's not going to let humanity get away with um, denying the truth or, or going against what he has commanded. His wrath is going to be poured out. It, it is currently in the world and eventually will be uh, permanently poured out against uh, sin and wrath of all kinds, sin and, and, and un unrighteousness of all kinds. But, but he says this. He says wrath is coming. Uh, it's, it's against all the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And, and how did these men get to this, th these positions of unrighteousness and ungodliness? Uh, they were, <laughs> by their unrighteousness, suppressors of the truth. Everybody knows what it is to suppress something. It's pushing it down, right? And that's what we do. We get so calloused in our hearts, so I don't care with God, that we just start rearranging truth, and we push truth down, and we elevate our truth up. We're like the little boy who was told by his parents when they got the new puppy that you can't have this new puppy in your room. He can't sleep in there with you. He's got to stay in his cage. If he goes in your room, he's just going to, you know, make piddles in there all night long. We can't have that. But the little boy loved this new puppy, and he wanted him to sleep in his room. And so willfully, he disobeyed his parents. He waited until they were watching their favorite show. And he snuck downstairs. He took the puppy out of the cage, and he snuck back upstairs. Well, of course, the puppy was wrestling, nestling in, and they were getting ready to go to sleep. But the puppy saw some street lights or headlights come into the window. And so he got up and started barking. <clears throat> and the little boy tried to shush the puppy, but the parents had heard. And they went and they saw the empty cage, and they did the math. And they started walking up the stairs. When the boy heard the parents' footsteps on the stairs, he grabbed the puppy, and the only thing he could think to do was to throw it in the toy box. And so he cleared a space for the puppy and put the puppy in the toy box. And then Einstein sat down in the toy box. And his parents come in, honey, what are you doing out of your bed? Oh, I just thought I'd sit here for a second, Mom. The puppy starts to move under the toy box. The parents don't let on that they already know what's going on. They just try to give the kid a chance to give himself up, right? Like every good parent does. Fall on that sword, son. Hey, buddy, have you, 
we can't find the puppy. He's not in his cage. Have you seen him? I have not seen him at all. As it bounces underneath him. I hope he didn't get outside. That'd be terrible. Of course, they come and grab their son and open the lid, and there's a discussion that follows, right? But that's all of us. We come to our Heavenly Father, and we say, yeah, you know what, God, I really care about you in this area. Can we get back to this? This is what all of us do, okay? We come to God, and we say, you can have all of this. You can have this part of my life. You can have this part of my life. I'll come on Sunday. I'll serve. I'll do all these things. But in this part of my life, I don't care. I don't care what you think about this part. And I want you to know, I think you're wrong about this being wrong. I think it's right. It works for me. So I'm going to hang on to it. You can have everything else. But my heart in this part of my life is hard. And so my mind is futile. And my thinking is skewed. Yeah, uh, Paul's basically saying that hard hearts make us uh, dark and dead to God. Let's look at verse 18 again. It says this. It says, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from God, and they're ignorant. There's an ignorance in them that pulls them away from God and his life for them. (laughs) Because our hearts are hard, we become ignorant and dark in our minds, Our, our Our hearts ultimately make us, get this, oblivious, that's ignorance, and blind, that's darkened in our understanding. We are therefore unaware of God's truth. We are unwilling to live by God's truth because eventually we are unable to see God's truth in our hard-hearted condition. We become dulled in our ability to see and follow God. Um. As I get older, I'm finding that my mind doesn't always work right. Uh, anybody with me? I'm not old, old. None of you are. But, uh, uh, but as, as we age, it's funny. Our, our brains just start malfunctioning in different ways. Like uh, there was a day earlier this past year that uh, I came in and uh, my, my, uh, uh, my kids were home. I don't know where Eleanor was, but I, I, had, I was in a hurry to get out the door. And so I had all this stuff under one arm. And I couldn't find my keys, wallet, phone, keys. Just where are my keys? And I come in, and I'm, I'm frustrated. I've looked all the places it's supposed to be. And I come in with this big bundle of stuff, and I say to my kids, who took my keys? Which is completely irrational. They had no reason to take my keys, but I'm blaming them because I'm human and I'm futile in my mind. Is everybody with me? So I come in, I'm like, who took my keys? And, and one of my I think it was Cooper, he looks at me and says, Dad, they're in your left hand. <laughs> Who's been there? Anybody been there? A guy came up to me after the service last night, and he says, oh, I'm totally there, Mark. Uh, I called my wife a couple weeks ago on my cell phone to ask her to look for my cell phone. (laughs) And and he said, that's not the funny part. My wife, who saw that it was me on my cell phone calling her cell phone, put down her cell phone and went to look for my cell phone. (laughs) (laughs) So both of us had this, like, (laughs) like, yeah, you are worse, bro. Steve, you are. You're way gone. I don't even know what you're talking about. But, but that's what happens when the hardness of our heart has its effect on our mind. We, just, we, we can't see things that are ours in Christ. We can't see his, his life and his direction for us. We can't, we, can't, we can't stay in step with him because we're just off on our own.
this dullness and darkness that alienates us from the life of God that he created us for. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to his disciples as they were asking, how are we going to know the way to this place that you're creating for us? He said, hey, man, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, right? I've always marveled at that grouping. Way, truth, and life. Certainly Jesus was talking about salvation and saying, hey, if you want to see the Father, you've got to trust that I am his son, that I am his, uh, his sent one, the, the savior of the world. You've got to uh, walk in my ways. You've got to believe in my truth, and you've got to live in my life. But I think that's a, a daily um, choice that you and I need to make, that we wake up every day and say, okay, today I'm going to live in Jesus' way. I'm going to live according to Jesus' truth, and I'm going to live the Christ life. But here's what we do. I'll do that in this one. Jesus' way, Jesus' truth, Christ's life. But in this one, my way. My truth. Because it's my life. And we get so stuck in that that we can't even sense the spirits pulling us and drawing us and and, and imploring us to return, to repent, to be reconciled to God in this part of our lives. Hmm. We can uh, kind of be like uh, cell phone customers around here. The Tampa Bay Times reported the other day, uh, Verizon customers, anybody got Verizon on your cell phone? You've got the best coverage. Way to go. Anybody here got Sprint? We've got the worst coverage. Way to go. Uh, so Sprint customers, way more than Verizon customers, drive around our town, and, and we get into these spots, even in, you know, 2019, where there's just not as good coverage. And we'll drop phone calls, and we'll have choppy conversations. Uh, that's the effect of a hard heart and a futile mind. It's like we lose the signal with God. We're farther from his tower. And some of you might feel like you're there. I'm far from God in this area of my life. I don't even know what to do. Or I'm far from God in every area of my life. I don't even know who he is. Hey, can I encourage you just for a second in this sermon? It's kind of a down sermon a little bit so far, right? Wow, we stink. But let me encourage you, even though we stink and our minds are futile and they get hard sometimes, God's love for us is unfailing. And no matter how far you and I stray, <laughs> he is right here now and ready for your return, ready for your repentance, ready for you to let go of the old and, and, and to take on the new in this area of your life, or to let go of the old that has always been you and to give him your life. Whatever it is, God stands at the ready. You know what I'm praying for, for my uh, own life and for the people that I know who are kind of losing signal off the ranch, away from their father? I'm praying for their trough, prodigal son. I pray you get to the part, the point in your life where you realize this is dumb. What am I doing? This is so stupid. My mind is futile. My heart is hard. I'm not going to keep doing this. This is crazy. There's a God who loves me, a father who will receive me. And I'm going to return to him. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, as you pray for someone else or if, as you pray for yourself, your father will meet you on the road. And he will take you into his loving embrace and he will celebrate your return. 
And all of heaven will celebrate with them. Because you have understood that in all of your life, it's meant to be his way, his truth, and his life. Paul goes on, verse 19, he says this, he says, they have become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality and they're greedy, they want more of of the practices of impurity. Now certainly we, we can't say that every person who is without Christ is just completely off the rails crazy, but I will tell you this, they and even us who are in Christ are prone to wander susceptible to the things that we would just say, that's crazy, I would never do that. In fact, how many times have you ever watched a news story where something horrible, horrific has happened and they interview the neighbors of the person who is the perpetrator? What does the people always say? He was always just a quiet guy. Was always gentle and kind to us. He never seemed like the kind of person who could do such a thing. I'll tell you what, there is wickedness in the heart of man. Every one of us, apart from the grace of God and the mind of Christ, are potentially off-the-rail folks. I prayed this past week on Monday as I said, I'm praying more. You should be praying more too, but I'm praying more. Not because I have to, not just because it's in the pastor's manual, but because I love Jesus and I'm really having a good time just getting to know him through prayer. So you should be praying more. I'm praying more. And uh, I'm, I'm coming in Monday morning, and uh, first thing I do is pray. And so I'm praying, and God's just leading me in my prayers. And he, he led me to pray this prayer. Uh, I didn't really want to pray it, but I prayed it. Lord, if there's someone I'm supposed to talk to today that's not on my schedule, lead me to that person and help me to know that they're the one I'm supposed to talk to. Dangerous prayer. <laughs> Especially for a guy who on Mondays likes to have lunch by himself because Sunday, you know, kind of wears me out, and I just want to kind of be alone on Monday at lunchtime. And so it's going great. I'm talking to all the people who are on my schedule. It's fine. I get to lunch. It's at this restaurant called City Buffet up here in Sefner. No one goes to it. You don't have to either. Don't feel like you need to, okay? I know I can go in there and get a fairly decent meal, and I can sit by myself and just have 45 minutes before I have to go back to work. I love it. Of course, I walk in there having prayed this prayer. Lord, if I'm supposed to talk to someone, lead me to them, and I'm coming back from the salad bar, and there's the guy that used to go to our church. And he's sitting by himself. And he looks me right in the eye. I can't even do the dodge. And you've all done the dodge, right? Maybe he won't. Maybe he won't. Maybe he won't. Can't even do the dodge. I'm outed. I'm holding my salad. We have a conversation. He says, are you here alone? And I sense the spirit saying, you asked. And so I sit down and I talk with this guy. And we're both fathers of kids uh, around the same age who are in the same situation as far as uh, not being wholly dependent on their father, their heavenly father. And, uh, and, and we got this talking, and he just started telling me. He says, you know, that's what's going on. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. He says, that's not even the beginning. And he goes on to the next thing. He goes on to the next thing. And his son and, and, uh, and just his life, who, a kid who used to go on mission trips for, at our church, uh, is just making choice after choice. And it all started, he says, it all started when he turned about 16, 17 years old. He just decided that his mom and dad were stupid. He decided that God was stupid. And he took the reins of his life and he just went. And if you had told me that we'd be talking about what this kid is doing in his life right now, back then, I would have told you you were crazy. But that's the nature of sin. It always wants more. It always wants to go further. It always... It never satisfies. It's drinking salt water. I've said that to you before. You can drink all the salt water you want. You're just going to get more thirsty. 
And that's what sin does to us. I've got to finish. Paul's begging us here in this text, don't go back. Now I tell you and I testify in the Lord, don't go back. It's a potential in a Christ life to go back to the old me. He says in verse 20, that's, that's not the way we learned this. I spent three years, two and a half, three years with you guys, more time than with any church I ever, you know, ever planted. I hung out with you dudes. I testified day and night uh, in, in, the, in the hall of Tyrannus. You know, I, know, I saw many of you come to Christ. It's, we, I was there, Paul says. It's not how we learned this. He says, this is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and, and you were taught in him. What a, what, what a pregnant sentence that is. It actually just reads literally in the Greek that you have heard him. Not about him, heard him. Jesus isn't just the subject of our teaching. He's the teacher. Like, what do I pray every time before I preach? Lord, push me aside. Speak in my place. I, I pray that's happening right now. You're hearing my voice, but I pray that Jesus is teaching you through me. That somewhere between eh and eh, he's transforming the words and making them what he needs them to be in your hearts. Jesus is the drawer of all men who come to him. He's the teacher of all who receive him. And Paul says, man, you heard Jesus. You were taught in Jesus. He's referring to the fact that um, before you came to Christ, you, you heard from Christ. But then once you trusted Christ, you were in Christ. And Christ was in you. And you have this incredible blessing, this grace that is unspeakable, that, that is the Christ life. And you can hear from Jesus as a Christian and, and learn in him. He's our teacher. He's our lesson. He's the atmosphere, the environment within we, uh, which we learn. And he says he gave you the truth. And what is the truth? Verse 22 tells us what the truth. The truth is, is that uh, in Christ, we are to put off our old selves. In fact, when we met Christ, it's what happened. We put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And verse 24, we'll get to verse 23 in a second. We're to put on and have put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He goes to the garment district, and he says, hey, let me borrow some of their words. Let's get dressed. Uh, when, when we become Christians, we take off the old life that was dedicated to ourselves and sin, and we lay that aside, and we put on the new life that is in Christ. In fact, uh, for most of history, even today in some churches, if you get baptized, one of the symbols of your new life with Christ is you're given a white robe. And you come to baptism in a white robe. And it's this picture of being uh, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so Paul says, this is what happened when I was with you. This is what you were taught. You put off the old. You put on the new. It is your position in Christ. Now, it's who you are. Got to be careful as preachers. Sometimes I can, uh, you know, preach behaviorism. You know, just get busy doing a lot of works uh, so that you, you know, uh, can somehow achieve and attain uh, this sanctification by your own strength. I'm not saying that that's what happens. In fact, listen, <laughs> we're not trying to become something that we aren't. We're trying to become who we already are in Christ. If you have uh, been born again, if you have received by faith Jesus, you are no longer a sinner. You're a saint. And we are just being called here by Paul in this particular text and then so many others to just live out who we all ready are. Our task then is not to weave the new self, but to wear it. 
So how do we do that as we close? How do we put on and keep on the new self? Well, I, I skipped verse 23. Did anybody notice that? Verse 23 gives us the key. It says uh, that we should live each day. Can I go back to the blank? That we should live each day with a renewed mind. Go back to that for me real quick. How do we put on and keep on the new self? We live each day with a renewed mind. There it is. Because here's what verse 23 says. That you should put off the old self. That's verse 22. And in verse 23 it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Spiritually speaking, you've got to change your minds. You've got to make up your mind. Anybody ever been told that? Lots of conversations as we leave the church this morning are going to end or be punctuated with that phrase. Make up your mind. Where are we going to lunch, babe? I don't know. We could go to Outback. We could go to McDonald's. We could go to, Ch- he said City Buffet. We could go to City Buffet. <laughs> and you're going to be throwing all those things out and you're going to have the discussion. And then finally someone's in the car is going to say, hey, make up your mind. And what are they saying? Choose. Not unlike Joshua, uh, who challenged the, the children of Israel as they were getting ready to take over the promised land. Choose this day whom you shall serve. It's a choice. Make up your mind. To give up your mind. Submit your thoughts to Christ. Just so you know, as we make that choice, as we commit to that, our, thought, our, our hearts thaw, our minds are retrained, and our actions follow. Like if we wake up, everyone, I don't know what you do when you wake up in the morning. What do you do? You turn your alarm off probably, stumble to a bathroom somewhere, make some coffee. How many, I'm, I'm, I'm a new coffee drinker. Six months I've been drinking coffee. I understand now. <laughs> you got to get your coffee, right? But whatever you're, listen, here's what I want to challenge you with as you move forward in your next days. As, you, as your eyes open, pray this prayer. Good morning, Father. Would you give me the mind of Christ today in everything that I do? Would you make my heart soft to your leading so that I can live your ways, your truth, and your life? Thank you. Amen. And then move on. Pray it again on the way to work. Pray it again when you get to work. Pray it as you go through your day. Prayer, conversation with God, initiates the changing of a heart and the recalibrating of a mind. That's why Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because I'm out of time. But Paul finishes up his letter to the Philippians, and he says, hey, man, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, right? Anybody remember that one? Then he goes on, and he's just kind of, he's, he's trying to, truncate, encapsulate for them the, the Christ life. He says, okay, let's, 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 let's remember this. Let's remember to pray. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, right? Uh, make your request known. Be grateful, be thankful, but in everything, pray, essentially, right? And the peace that surpasses all understanding will be yours in Christ Jesus, right? Okay, so, so we should pray because prayer will square our minds and soften our hearts. And then, he goes on and in verse 8 of chapter 4, he says, finally, could you put that one up there for me because it's so good? Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, ancestors, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just pure, whatever's lovely, what is commendable is excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, what do you do with that stuff? You dwell on it. You let that be 
the filter and the funnel that everything else in your life flows through. So you pray, you think right, and then guess what happens? He goes on in verse 9, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen from me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You've heard me say and other preachers say, hey man, it's all about heart, head, and hands, and it goes in that order. Soften your heart, square your head, live the Christ life with every day that you go. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. That God would keep me from going back, as the Proverbs say, like a dog to his vomit. Keep me from going back to my old life. And allow me to stay in the new. Do that by daily renewing my mind. Not being conformed to the world, but being renewed in my mind. Pray. Ask God to give that to you. Study and fill your mind with the truth of God. And then go and live in honor of Him. Can you stand? We're going to sing a song as we close. It's a song of commitment. A, when, we, when we sing now at our end of our services, I want you to pray these songs. Don't just do it because, good, I get to go. <laughs> All I got to do is finish singing this and then go to my car. Awesome. No. Stay with me. Let God minister to you. Sing these songs as a prayer as Darnisha leads us this morning. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh That's, that's our prayer. We just sang it. We, just, we want you to change us and to mold us and to shape us into your likeness. We want to um, not just let go and let God. I know that, that that's sub, surrender is good, but submission, us willfully subjecting ourselves to you in our actions and choices, that's what you want. And so uh, keep us from just trying too hard in our flesh to, to be more like you. That's going to fail Keep us from just being 
sedentary, just sitting there and waiting for you to do things. And we should be actively involved with you in. Help us, Lord, to understand what we can do to repent of the areas where we're still living with futile minds and harden our hearts. Uh, to move forward, God, into this, this new life uh, dressed in your righteousness. Uh, do that, God, by renewing our minds and, and giving us um, your way, your truth, and your life, I pray. For us as your church, for me as your son, as your follower, for each of us as individuals, to be wholly rendered and available to you. I pray in Jesus' name because Jesus is awesome. Jesus is our Savior. He is the creator and sustainer of all that is. Jesus is the center of this church. He's the center of my life. He is, as I've said already before today, the way, the truth, and the life. We pray in his name. And everybody said, amen. And God bless you.